welcome, welcome to uh, our, uh, our regularly scheduled podcast. And our guest today is uh, is Greg, uh, uh, who has got a great new movie uh, that he's going to tell us about. And he's a great musician. And Greg, welcome. Hey, thanks, Bob. Welcome. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, it's it's very cool to be asked to hang out with with uh, cool dudes. <laughs> Well, I'm gonna get rid of the glasses. Once we become cool, we'll ask you again. So, okay. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Uh, and and Mark, say hi. Greg Eric Johnson, thrilled to yes. meet you. I've been watching your videos. I've uh, checked out the websites. I think I may get uh, an education today. All right, that sounds good. I'm okay. happy to uh, do my part. Okay, I, at some point, I want to get into your storied musical career, but I'd like to start by, by talking about the, the movie which just premiered, I think, a week ago or so. Um, yeah, last, and, uh, last Sunday. And tell, us, tell us about the movie, how you got involved, and, uh, and about Sensitive Men Rising. Sure, It'd be my pleasure. Yeah, so as you said, the movie is called Sensitive Men Rising, and it is actually a follow-up to a, um, a 2015 film called Sensitive the Untold Story which featured Alanis Morissette. Um, and it's had to do with, it's based on a, a book by Dr. Elaine Aaron, who um, back in about 1995 or so, um, really kind of honed in on um, a trait that had been talked about for a long time, but, but she finally kind of honed in on it and did a lot of scientific research to verify this um, trait, which we call um, sensory processing sensitivity. And essentially it's just um, keeping it in really simple terms that everyone in, you know, all humans and, and most mammals fall into three basic categories, which we could just say is being very highly sensitive, you know, average sensitivity or low sensitivity. And so the, the portion that she really honed in on is um, those folks that are more highly sensitive and there were certain characteristics that she found that were fairly consistent and and started this this now you know 25 plus year process of um, of trying to understand how how we can better deal with sensitivity or high sensitivity let's say in society to create better leaders etc cetera, etc cetera, etc cetera. so um sensitive men rising was a way to hone in on that aspect more predominantly within men. Um, so one of the things that she talks about is that um, most of the world's difficulties um, really come from a certain kind of male characteristic and just the basic concept that a different kind might be able to change that. And so um, just looking at that, um, that possibility that maybe if we, as we understand sensitivity more, uh, and understand the benefits and then be able to um, to overcome the, the presumed difficulties that perhaps, you know, we can create better leaders and uh, just it might be better for society in general. So we posit that as a possibility and then explore a lot of stories um, from around the world, uh, men in all different levels of, of, um, of leadership or not. All different elements of society. We have scientists, we have 
we have musicians, we have uh, politicians, we have, you know, everyday men on the street, we have uh, um, actors, um, uh, you know, just a whole range. In fact, there were there were uh, far more uh, people that we were able to interview than we actually have time to actually to show well in the movie. So, you know, my hope is that we end up doing a series of movies or having some sort of follow-up because there's just so much going on. Um, so the the I got involved with the movie. I'm one of the co-producers. And I got involved initially because I was asked to be interviewed as a highly sensitive man, man myself. Um, Bob, as you know, you've um, been doing music since about 1989 or so, I think. Um, you recorded my first concert, and then um, what we found was that I, I'm, my emotions are big and they're very present, and when I'm performing, they just leap out. So I got a reputation early on as someone that cries, and uh, at first I got I got some grief for that. There were you know uh, many people who said you know dudes aren't supposed to cry. It's not a good thing, you know. So. Um, you should just hide that. And I said, no, I'm going to embrace it. I don't understand why I, my, my emotions are so present when I'm performing, but they are. And I, you know, it's, it's the deal. So um, on my first, uh, or my first bigger recording, I, I wrote on it that I, I find that I cry a lot um, these days, sometimes of joy, sometimes of sadness, but always of, of um, love and, and belonging. So that's, that kind of became part of the, uh, the consistent theme throughout my career leading up to this movie. So, so you were first in, well, so you became your co-producer, but first you were, you were interviewed for it. Yeah. So how did, how did the larger role happen? And I, I know you contributed music as well. Yeah, indeed. Uh, well, it's interesting. So the, uh, the, uh, director producer of this film is a gentleman named Will Harper, who happens to be, my sister-in-law's brother. So I, we had met each other, you know, 30 years ago um, at, my, at our, my brother's and his sister's wedding. And, you know, we, we found that we had a, just a nice connection. And so um, later on when he heard, you know, he heard about my music and so forth, he just asked me if I would be willing to just sit for an interview as, uh, just out of curiosity. And at the time I had heard about, um, about highly sensitive people, but didn't really know much. I just knew a little bit. And I hadn't really, um, really gotten deep into the concept that I, in fact, is a high, am a highly sensitive man. But uh, during the process of the interview, as he asked me questions, there was, I, I could feel this, this wave of emotion coming up this realization of like, oh my God, there's a lot of who I am and how I have done what I've done and why I've done what I've done that seems to be down this track. So then of course I, I started studying more and, and the, you know, the aha moments became more and more prevalent and I realized, oh yeah, this is, this is definitely, I am definitely, um, even though uh, most highly sensitive people are are a little bit more introverted. I'm very extroverted. So I, at first I thought, well, that, that must be something different. But as it turns out, about 30% of 
highly sensitive people are more extrovert as what we would classify extroverted. So, so there's um, hope for me. <laughs> there's hope for everybody. So, I mean, that, you know, one of the key and, things. And, that, and in that context, that there's hope for everybody, can I throw you a slight curve? Sure. I think this concept is wonderful. I'm not sure how it gets out to the world at large and communicated in such way because we've all been so programmed, as she said earlier, to see things through the male filter, which often when you talk about leaders is influenced by power and holding on to that power where this is almost could be threatening. But what I enjoy about it is that somebody has intellectualized it and there's another world out there and people have more potential and capabilities but unless there are triggers to act as a catalyst to bring that to the surface we're still trapped in our programming am i off the deep end no you're you're exactly right and and again you know part of our hope is that we can uh, help start a conversation. Um, so just just to think of things in a slightly different frame of reference than than the quote unquote traditional male roles, female roles, uh, non-binary binary roles, et cetera, et cetera. But just simply go that that this phenomenon of how we process information is across the board. It, it's it's in equal parts, you know, throughout uh, all genders and uh, throughout uh, all societies, every place on the earth. All the scientists in the film, uh, they've done a lot of research worldwide, and it's it seems fairly consistent. And again, through another hundred plus species of mammals, it is also consistent. So by being able to just um, again start a conversation that has a just a slightly different frame of reference we allow for the possibility that maybe we can get someplace different without um starting out from a the traditional pigeonholes of how um how we are supposed to take in and put out information so well i think um artists may be initially the ticket um I noticed online that you and I are of a similar vintage age. And um, <laughs> um, growing up in the late 60s, there was uh, moments of the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Act, Woodstock, the music that was coming up that was hopeful, uh, suggesting during the Vietnam War that there's a place for peace and love. And all of a sudden this was all blossoming and then it just went away. And I was thinking that might've been one of those times in the timeline where this could take a step forward. But here we are again, a half century later, trying to find out where the inroads are to reach uh, a world out there that might benefit from thinking this through a little further. Well, yeah, it's, well, it's certainly toxic masculinity is is sort of ascendant, but I mean, in terms of how you get the message out, obviously this movie is is part of trying to to get the word out 
to the to what I to the world at large. Uh, so you want to answer answer that question, but but I'd I'd, I'd love to have you talk about uh, where people might be able to see the movie if it'll stream. I know it, it you did a live debut in San Francisco, but but will it be available to the world at large? Uh, yes, we're we're we did uh, do a premiere. Uh, preliminary screening uh, for, you know, basically fam family and friends because um, we wanted to put a stake in the ground. And then um, now we're looking at uh, whether we go down the track of uh, film festivals. So we're trying to get into one, which hopefully I'll be able to announce shortly, uh, or to actually just, just look for uh, independent distribution for a period of time. And then while well, we uh, seek um, bigger distribution through Prime or something like that. So uh, we'll be able to announce it very soon that it will be available. Uh, and I have to say the film is is very strong. It's very good. It's um, it's well founded. The information is um, again. Uh, Dr. Aaron herself is one of the primary writers, and um, she's very involved with the film. So it's it goes back to the source, um, and it's done in a way that. Uh, as a documentary, full chock full of information and and honest stories, it also has an, you know what we think is enough of a cinematic touch so that it it moves along. It's um it's you know it's a full length um, feature and it moves very well and it will start the the conversation. We were blessed to be able to get uh, Peter Coyote to um to tell a little bit of his own personal story and to narrate um, this film for us. And then Alanis Morissette decided to come back as um, now as a highly sensitive mom of two highly sensitive boys. So she tells her story from the point of view of her kids. Um, and then we have um, actor um, Luke Goss, who's, you know, he's been in just a zillion films as as generally as a bad guy, and he, you know, he's so it's a really interesting juxtaposition that his persona is a is a very highly sensitive and very feeling, caring, empathetic uh, man, who who is the exact opposite of all the characters that he plays in uh, like all the Hellboy movies and so forth. Um, and then we have um, uh, one of the top psychology podcasters in the world, uh, Scott Barry Kaufman. Who, who gives, again, that sort of psychological foundation of, of how, you know, how masculinity can work and how as we, as we are able to get the message of, of sensitive leadership, sensitive, a, sen a more sensitive approach to um, things that how that can really benefit. And then on and on we have, there's, um, I mean, we have even like, there's a, a young gentleman named um, named um, Sorbono Isaac Berry, who's a 12-year-old math genius. He's he's considered the youngest professor in the world. He's this is a kid that got a near-perfect SAT a couple weeks ago, and and at age 12, you know, he's being courted by all the Ivy League colleges, and I, I don't know where he's going to end up going, but yeah, he just and he's he's. One of the points is that, you know, to someone, uh, I've heard comments, well, he's just a very gifted kid. Yeah, he's very gifted. And he's also just highly sensitive. He's just, he feels things so deeply. Um, you, you know what I'm kind of picking up from this within your um, heightened sensitivity is 
simply maybe the whole common denominator is that we have the capacity to be multidimensional. Uh, yes. We, we perceive the male in a certain context, and yet what you're offering here is it can be so much more. And yes. this 12-year-old person is not just a brilliant person. He's probably somebody with thoughts, feelings, uh, a way of looking at all kinds of things differently. And what I think part of this is, is that one of our underlying strengths is the potential to understand our multiple dimensionality. And what you're suggesting here is dialing in and not so much exploiting it, but understanding it and taking it someplace that goes beyond you and benefits others. Yeah, that's, you know, the, I, I find that the first step in, in people that I've talked to um, during the process of making this film is so many, um, and I'll just say sensitive men for, because that, that's predominantly who we talked with, uh, at first can't find a way to accept their sensitivity as being uh, a positive thing, as being a good thing, or even just as a thing. Um, there's, there's so often the sense that like being sensitive, being easily um, overstimulated or easily feeling things that, that, that in some fashion based on um, societal norms, that that's a, that's a negative, that that's thought of as a weakness rather than, first off, if we just say that it is a thing, it's not, it's not necessarily weak or positive, it's just present. It is just uh, an, an absolute scientifically based part of us. And then, then finding um, the tools to, we call them, you know, just coping mechanisms to be able to accept that and then be able to then find a way to, to empower ourselves within that. So there's a, a uh, there's a little mnemonic that um, Dr. Aaron created called DOES. And it, so it's a real easy way to think about. Um, so D, which stands for deep thinking or depth of processing, and then O, which stands for you know, overwhelm. Because sometimes, you know, highly sensitive people are easily overwhelmed. And then E for empathetic, which can be the balance to the overwhelm. And then S for um for sensitivity to subtleties. So, so what I find is that being able to, um, you know, being able to, in conversations with people, being able to pick up on really subtle cues about what, you know, the other person is feeling and thinking, um, we're able to, you know, if we take the time to use that to understand them, then we can engage in much better conversations, much deeper conversations, much more meaningful conversations, much more purposeful, you know, conversation that gets us somewhere. So it's- You it, mean we have to actually listen to the other person? Yeah, <laughs> and not not listen to just the words, but listen to listen to what the body's saying, listen to, you know, look in their eyes, look at what what's actually going on. And so in that way, you know, as I say, if once we accept that within ourselves, and then be able to use that as a tool to be able to then accept other people better. It's to me, it feels like a, a real format for or a real foundation, I would say, for better communications, better processing. And then, you know, ultimately, in my opinion, it would 
lead to better better uh, uh, potential laws, you know, the way Congress can work or the way governments can work, the way businesses can work, the way families can work. Just the whole thing is there's a possibility that we can do it better because we we can get down deeper into it. When I saw the trailer, uh, two words kept popping up in my mind uh, when they showed the cavemen and having to interpret their surroundings and then um, transform that into some sort of action. But it's a military term, but I think it's something that would be appropriate for all of us in life, which I'm trying to embrace. And I'm just wondering if this is part of the sensitivity is simply situational awareness. Yeah. Well, I mean that that makes sense, and and that's so it's like you know a lot of times I think we go through life um, where we're just we're fighting so hard just to keep up with what's going on or to get our bills paid or you know to to you know to use the metaphor to feed our families that we miss that um, that that there are there's information that's available to us to help us actually accomplish the things that we actually need to do um, and there, there's you know i mean not to get too esoteric or too spiritual about it but there you know there does feel like there is this kind of universal connectiveness um, possibilities that there you know that we can we can make better decisions because we become more aware of what's what's actually going on not just the little bits that you know that that it's easy to pick up but the things that are you know the things that are a little more subtle that you know the you know the sometimes you know I'll have situations where three seemingly completely random events you know suddenly come together as being oh no they, they were they were parts they were preliminary parts of something that I needed to be able to do uh, at a particular time and but being aware of them it was like then when that time came I was able to use those events um Greg Bob Bob you wanted to go into Greg's uh music story yeah, his history. yeah Greg, I'd, I'd, I'd love to talk have you talk about your, your music journey when when I met you you were a tech bro yeah, <laughs> and, uh, uh, and and how you uh, unleashed your music career, and then you know, sort of segue into uh, the music for the film that you created. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I um, ever since I was, you know, as long as I can remember, I think I got my first drum set when I was five, and I always wanted to do music in some fashion, but uh, you know. It was there was a push, family, et cetera, et cetera, to go more into business, go into um, you know to study more about having a profession. That led me to become um, you know I, I was in the corporate world for I don't know twenty some years, and I you know I was able to find a level of success in that world, but I always wanted to you know what I really wanted to do was do music, and so. You know, even there was a while I worked for um, Odyssey Records, so I was around a lot of great musicians. I got to go to just a zillion concerts, and I was always during that time a wannabe. I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be a, a, a composer. I wanted to be a performer, um, and I just, you know, I always feel like I, I kind of 
not I shouldn't say wasted, but I spent a long time not doing what I really needed to do. And then circumstances put me into a situation where I kind of had no choice. I was just emotionally overwhelmed by um, by my life and my, you know, my daughter was, uh, I raised my daughter and she was going off to college and my, uh, my wife at the time, you know, we were going our separate ways and everything just seemed like turmoil. And then finally came down to like, okay, if I don't do some music now, um, you know, I'm going to just lose it. So it was, uh, I was fortunate enough to, um, first, uh, who is the gentleman who, uh, who, our friend, our mutual friend, uh, Pete, uh, who passed away recently, a few years back. I forgot his name already. Um, great guy. Um, anyway, I'll, I'll think of it. But anyway, he, you know, he helped me kind of get directed. And then uh, you and I, we, you know, we got connected and it finally was like, okay, I'm going to do it. So I started writing some music. And, and at the time it was very, um, you know, I didn't really know much of what I was doing. I just knew that I had a lot of feeling. Uh, Pete was a recording studio? Yeah. Pete Slauson. Yes, yes, yes. Love that man. Yeah. Love that man. So he, you know, he was one of the first ones to to um, give me, you know, or to encourage me to give myself permission to just follow this path that um, was not an easy path, of course, but uh, to follow this path to 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 get out there and write and to perform. And I found early on too that I was not a good session player. So even though I, I did do some session work early on, but that wasn't really my direction. I, I knew that if I was gonna have a, a life that felt correct to me, and if I was gonna make it my ways in music at all, it was, it was gonna be as a composer. So I just, I started writing and I read it, wrote more and, and eventually I started writing for you know, some other people and started uh, forming my own group. Uh, going all the way back to, I guess that was like about 1990. I think I had my first, first, uh, we were a trio first, and then we expanded. We used to play at the, the old Fourth Street Tavern in San Rafael. That, that wow. little, yeah, it was like this little, you know, it was a dive in those days. <laughs> no yeah. offense, whoever connected, but it was, you know, it was like, it was just a great place to start. And we uh, we started doing Monday nights, and I played every Monday night for like three years straight. And over time, the band got better. You know, I got better. Uh, songs became better, and then we started having lots of people come and uh, join us. And and it got to a point where where after a while, anybody that was coming to the coming to town um, to do a bigger show would come hang out with us on Monday night and sit in and. So I got to meet a lot of my heroes just by virtue of the fact that I had this this cool ensemble going. Um, so that's that's how I got started. And so once I made the commitment to write, um, then that's everything that I've done since then, uh, including you know I've I've taught for about um, twenty five years or so. So I have I've taught a lot of great musicians you know a lot of kids who've gone on to become great musicians um and it was from the standpoint of i love music i love creating it and and then i've helped them do the same thing um so then my 
bands have evolved over the years. And I had this great band more recently, right until right before COVID, called Glass Brick Boulevard. And that was kind of the quintessential. And, and our music is out, you know, all over the place. It's still available. I'm not pushing it so much, but it's definitely there. And Go ahead. Okay. What's yeah. that? Go, Go ahead. You can sell Go it. Ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I, I the, you know, the thing is, I had this these great experiences with some of the most amazing uh, players. So I have a long-term friend, Rob Fordyce, who's one of the most amazing bass players on the planet, who's, you know, who's, he's a quiet guy, but he's, and he's doing some stuff still, but he's on um, dozens of recordings with me. And then um, uh, over the years, had different drummers, had, had Greg Gonaway, Gigi, the infamous Gigi, he's out there someplace. And then uh, Celso Alberti, who, um, uh, we were together for about five years and he's just, you know, as good as they get uh, and others. Um, and then um, we, we even had, um, um, uh, let's see, we had a bassoonist of all things for a long time. Uh, yeah. And it was, got this guy, he's so great. And, uh, and we, we played for a long time. And then finally, I think uh, Jimmy, uh, Billy Cobham heard him on wow. uh, one of our shows and so he stole them away so um i think they're still touring um wow yeah so it was, it was a great ensemble with yeah and then uh, various other people would sit in with us so um so then um as i said so covid kind of slowed things down and i i i thought i was going to retire at that point and just you know just be a a grandfatherly teacher with, you know, I, I still have uh, 20 or so students around the world. So we, we started doing Zoom lessons because of COVID and still doing that. And but I have some in person as well. So by the way, the, the bassoonist was Paul Hansen. I realized I didn't mention his name. And okay. this guy, I bowed to Paul. He's so good. Anyway, uh, so uh, you know, then COVID's over and blah, blah, blah. And then, then as I said, um, my conversations with Will Harper after I did the interview for the film, then uh, we'd start talking about some musical ideas and I thought, okay, well, I can I can help with that for sure. And so um, I ended up writing uh, what ended up being the theme for the film and then a couple of other pieces within it. So, um, so my imprint on the film is it's kind of everywhere. So, and, and is the music your solo piano or an ensemble or for the film? I mean, uh, at, actually, uh, Rob Fordyce, bass player, and I we did uh, we did a couple things together just as a, a, a duo, and it worked really well. So it's um, so they become you know like threads that weave through the film without. So it's like uh, I, I, it, it's my own form of ear candy. They weave through. You don't notice it, but then it's in your head, and you you don't forget it. So it's nice. Very I'm very proud. Of that. Yeah. And so now, uh, after um, we actually uh, recorded uh, this work in uh, Laughing Tiger Studios in San Rafael, which is my favorite studio, and now now I'm inspired, and I have a bunch of work that. Uh, but some of my best songs that we performed that were never actually recorded. So that that'll be my next 
uh, venture is to, while promoting the, the film and taking that around, also we'll start my next uh, Glass Brick Boulevard recording. And so, you're one of the producers of the film. Yes. yes. I would encourage you to get on the film festival circuit. I had involvement with the Tiburon Film Festival for about 10 years. And uh -huh. there literally is a 12-month calendar of film festivals all across the United States, uh, some more significant than others. But what a great way to tell your story and meet audiences and get the word out. And then if something clicks and like a large distributor picks up on it, you never know. Yes, well, that's that's the vision. I'm, I'm gonna. It's I, a I believe, vision. Yeah, I, I believe this this uh, movie. It has substance and it has purpose. And you know, I, as I told my grandkids, I this felt like. All of the all of the work that I did in the corporate world, and then all of the work that I did in the music world, kind of came together to make make it so that when this movie presented itself, you know, I was able to throw myself into it. Wow. Okay, well, we have about three minutes, three minutes and change left. Greg, I'm I'm curious to ask. Uh, you have grand, as you mentioned, you have grandkids. You've got a the 12 year old who's in the film uh, it's not just on the sensitive man theme but also your music journey what would you tell a, a 12 year old or however old your grandkids are uh, you know how to how to manifest their 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 inner self uh, you've done a great job of doing that and uh, I'm, I'm thrilled to have, have been involved with that a little bit when when you Get out of corporate life, but do you have do you have a, a message you can leave us with? Absolutely. Um, the the first thing is don't stop. So it's I know there are so many forces that um, that or there's so many messages that we get every day that say, okay, well you don't do this. You should do this because it's it's easier or that you know it's it's the way that it's supposed to be. It's more conventional. But sometimes uh, our lives are not meant to be straightforward and conventional. And sometimes we have uh, have something within us that we need to, to get out. And if we do it, and if we give ourselves the, uh, you know, the opportunity to do it, even though the odds may be against it, more times than not, it's the world benefits from that. So it's, it's not only just to help ourselves, but to help everyone else. So I, you know, it's, it's hard because, you know, um, our, you know, our society isn't really set up to support the arts or to support individual creativity or individuality in any form. So we have to be able to pull together the resources and, and, you know, um, being willing to ask for help, being willing to, to, say what you have to say and um, and not be afraid. I mean, be afraid, but but do it anyway. So that's, I, I just know so many, over the years, I've, um, as I've produced other people, I've known so many great singers, songwriters, et cetera, that gave up, like, in my opinion, one minute too soon. Like, just when they, they could have actually really made a difference, 
circumstances beat them down and they gave up. And that's, you know, I wish that that things were set up differently, but they're not. We're, so. we're about to go uh, run out of time. Greg, it's a thrill having you on here. We'd love to probably so talk to you down the line again if you're up for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Once the film's out, I'll let you know. Excellent. Guys, thank you so much, Greg. Uh, thank you. And in, in, the, in the words of uh, the new writers, keep on keeping on. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thank, thank you, guys. You.